0: Okay, so we continue on today in our study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and we will take a look this morning at Revelation chapter 15 and we're actually going to get through two chapters today, Revelation 15 and 16. And again, if you feel so inclined, you can go to our webpage, aloveoutreach.com or onto iTunes and listen to all our past teachings through Revelation Uh, as well as some other teachings that we have loaded up there. The reason I mention that is because I I really do believe that uh, Revelation is a book that is best studied in one to to three sittings, meaning that it's a little difficult when you break up the book of Revelation into several weeks, as we have been doing on Sunday mornings. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's great to study it this way. But I also encourage you to... uh, Find some time this year where you can get alone with the Lord for a few hours and just sit down and read all 22 chapters of the book of Revelation at once. Or, like I said, at least in maybe two, three sittings. Because if you remember Revelation chapter 3, or uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So the uh, the Revelation is the only book in the Bible that really promises that. Though we know that all of the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and does a work within our hearts and in our lives. But yet, Revelation has that promise in chapter 1. That blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. But it also says and keeps those things which are written in it, for the time is drawing near. So anyway, I'm not going to uh, recap any of last week's teaching this morning, as I sometimes do. We're not going to go back and read chapter 14 here. We're just going to go ahead and jump right on into chapter 15. So Revelation chapter 15. Hopefully you're all there. Verse one. It says, "Then I saw another angel, or excuse me, another sign in heaven." great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. So, in this vision here, in seeing the seven angels having the seven last plagues, John is calling this a great and a marvelous sign. The end of all things as they once, you know, were, you know, are the end of all things are getting real close here as we're studying Revelations. Very soon, as we read this, the wrath of God will be complete, right? And we know that this is a day in the future that still is coming for us, that the wrath of God will be complete, this world and the Christ-rejecting people of this world will have their just due. And we will then enter into a great and a marvelous time. So it's a it's a John's coming to a good thing here. The the wrath of God is about complete, right? And as we've been studying this book, it's been a, a study of tragic of a tragic time that will come upon the earth. It's a tragic time, but not an unjust time, because this world must be judged. Remember, the Word of God is a whole book. Our Bibles are Genesis to Revelation. So if you just read Re- Revelation, you know, if a person were to just read Revelation, maybe they could come to the conclusion that God is an angry God. He's, a, he's grumpy. He's mean. He's upset. But if you read Genesis to Revelation, you find that not only is God a God of justice, but He is a God of love. He is the God of all comfort, right? In the beginning, He gave mankind, remember, let us not forget that in the beginning, He gave mankind a paradise, a perfect place to live. But man rebelled against God and received their just due. God allowed them to live how they wanted to live, but their wickedness eventually ended up grieving God, and He destroyed the whole earth with a flood. Then He gave man another chance to begin again. And He knew that He needed some type of law and order, so He established law for them. He gave them another chance to begin, though, through that. However, even after giving them the law, mankind still remained wicked even as we see wickedness in men and women in our our world today, right? But God being the God of love, He reached down one last time to mankind. And this time He did so in Jesus Christ. He gave man another chance. And that chance is Jesus Christ. God Himself became flesh and loved the world. So much so that He died for this world in order that He might redeem us unto Himself again as His own special people and one day put us back into a paradise where He originally designed for us to live. But it was man that has rebelled time and time again. And it is God that has reached out in love. But He's reached out one last time. And that was in Jesus Christ. And He now, now, even up till this day, He extends grace and forgiveness to mankind. But the day of that extended grace and forgiveness will come to an end. And that is what we find here in the book of Revelation. That that day of grace and forgiveness has come to an end. The God of love, the God of great compassion will one day, finally, once and for all, put an end to the wickedness to the sin of mankind. And He will then reveal to us something great and marvelous, as John says there. Something that 1 Corinthians two nine tells us that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love Him. So as we look at these seven last plagues, keep in mind that The earth and the Jesus-rejecting world, they're not being unfairly punished here, but rather they are receiving the recompense for what they have sown. Again, I I wanted to point all this out because a person could jump into Revelation and say, wow, man, this God is, is an angry God. But no, He's a God of love. But the time of justice will come. The time of judgment will come, right? And if you don't want to have part in that time, and that recompense, then be sure to live in accordance with the will of the Lord for your lives. That's why I read to you Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, because it says, Blessed are those that do the things and keep the things written in this book. We're blessed if we just read it, but we're blessed if we keep the things written in it. And we are to work out our salvation, the Bible says, with fear and trembling. That just simply means we are to be a reverent people, a, pers- a people of worship, a set-apart people. That's what the word holy means, to be set-apart. Set apart by the Lord for His purpose. So we are to seek the Lord and we are to give Him top priority in our lives. And none of what we are studying here in Revelation in regards to the great tribulation will apply to us. Because we won't be here during that time. And John continues on in verse 2. And he says, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. So what John is beginning to describe here in verse 2 is part of this great and marvelous time that he mentions in verse 1. This sea of glass mingled with fire its something beautiful. You know, just uh, Friday, I believe it was, uh, my daughter sent a picture from the sunset in California and it just looked like we thought when you see in the little small picture on the phone and having bad eyes like me and Penny do we thought oh there's a fire in California something's on fire but the sky was just on fire over the ocean you know and that's what this reminded me of when I was studying for this you know it, but it appeared as though the sky was on fire as the sunset you know and that's what we're seeing here. It ap- it appears to John to be like a sea of glass mingled with fire. If you remember many weeks back, if you were here, we talked about a sea of glass representing calmness, a peacefulness, right? When you when a person makes the statement, they say, "Oh, the lake is like glass." It just means it's calm. It doesn't look like that lake looks right now, all choppy and rough. It's just calm, okay? So this is a beautiful scene here. And John sees those that were victorious over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. So this is a triumph for for those that overcame the great tribulation. Those that went through that time and overcame that time. And verse 3 says they sing the song of Moses. The servant of God and the song of the lamb saying great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy for all nations shall come and worship before you for your judgments have been manifested. See, there's no one else that one day all nations will come and worship before. No other God, no other name. They'll come before Jesus and Jesus alone. It doesn't matter what the religion they're of today. Not all roads lead to heaven. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that we must come to. Otherwise, the Bible's not true. Otherwise, we might as well not read it at all if we believe all roads lead there because the Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. But what is this Song of Moses? It's a song of victory. A song about the Lord's victory. The Lord being victorious. I want want us to take a look at the Song of Moses. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 15. So the second book in your Bible, or the second one on your phone list in your phone app... (laughs) Exodus chapter 15. And let's start reading in verse 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord, and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider He has thrown into the sea. Now, pause for a brief moment here, because this song is the song of Moses that Revelation chapter 15 refers to. Let's keep that in mind here. And I want you to correlate in your mind the words of this song with all the things that we have studied in Revelation thus far. Because this song depicts the victory of God's people. It depicts the victory of the Lord. Again, it's the Lord's victory over those that oppose the people of God. And that's what we'll see here in Exodus. See, we can win no victory over sin in this world without the Lord. We cannot conquer the power of sin, the power of death. Only the Lord could conquer that victory for us. So again, the words of this song say there in verse 1, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider He has thrown into the sea. Remember, the horse and the rider, in this case, with the children of Israel, were the Egyptians that were seeking after them to capture them. Right? And still to this day, the sin of this world desires to capture and destroy you. And it chases after you. It desires to to kill and to destroy you. But we will have the victory in the end. We stay faithful till the end, following the Lord, serving the Lord. And the words of this song continue in verse 2 and say, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots... And his armies he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And the greatness of your excellence. You have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. Notice that there, that it says, And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. Weren't the Egyptians rising against the Israelites? Well, when when you rise against the people of God, you arise against God Himself, the Lord God. And the Lord will have the victory. And in our lives today, sin wants the victory. This world wants the victory. It wants us to follow the ways of this world, the ways of the little G God of this world, as the Bible calls Satan, right, the God of this age. Okay, But it's not the capital G God, it's the small G God. But sin wants to conquer us, but the Lord has the victory over sin. And we are to praise Him. That's what this song of Moses is. It is a song of praise. Praising the Lord for what He has done. But do you see how this song ties into what we have been studying in Revelation? And that is that the Lord will ultimately be victorious over all sin and all that opposes the people of God. This world will have its just recompense. But let's read on. Verse 8. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. So in case you don't know, this is Moses parting the Red Sea. But we know who's really behind it, the breath of God's nostrils. It's God that's behind it all. But you see, today, folks, the enemy roams around like a roaring lion, it says in 1 Peter 5, 8. Seeking whom he may devour. But it also says there that we are to be sober. We are to be vigilant. In other words, we are to be wise to the sin of this world and we are to flee from it. We are to keep ourselves separate from it. Don't get caught up in the ways of this world. Instead, know the ways of the word. Sin will pursue you. So you must be diligent to live in a righteous manner that is found in the word of the Lord, the Holy Bible. And as we overcome this world, we will one day see the Lord standing victorious over all the earth. And verse 10 here continues and says, You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. But the people of God passed through, didn't they? The people of God weren't destroyed, were they? It's the same thing in the end times. The people of God will pass on through, will pass on. But the world will be destroyed, and the Christ-rejecting world, and those who oppose God will be destroyed. Verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? See the little g gods there, right? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? These are questions that the Song of Moses is asking here, right? Who is like our God? Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. So what is this telling us? Again, there is none like our God. He alone is great and marvelous. He alone is perfect in holiness. He alone rules in righteousness. And He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The God who became flesh and dwelt among us. The God that walked the earth, went to the cross, hung, bled, and died. The God who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and will come again with clouds. He alone will be victorious. There is none like him amongst all the gods of this world. Verse 13. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. So do you see that? There is a holy habitation where we are going to dwell someday. The Lord has redeemed us, and He has that place prepared for us. But what about all the people that have not repented? That have not turned to the Lord? And we're going to see a lot about unrepentance today. Verse 14 describes that type of people, or that type of person. It says in verse 14, The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as stone till your people pass over Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. So, do you get the picture here? The children of Israel here are being pursued by all kinds of evil men. But no harm will come to them. They will pass over into safety. And of course, we know that God is not finished with Israel even to this day. They are His chosen people. They will in the end be victorious. But for us, the Gentiles that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, this same victory awaits us. We too can sing the song of Moses because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, we can sing a song of victory. We can sing a song of praise because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary of the Lord, which your hands have established. So, what place is that? What place has the Lord made as his own dwelling, where we too someday will dwell, where he will bring us into? That place is heaven above. And it is the sanctuary which He has established with His own hands. That's where we will dwell someday. That's where the Lord will bring us over into safety someday and peace and rest forevermore, for all eternity. Then verse 18 says, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. So again, let's not forget that Israel is God's chosen people. And that Jesus our Messiah was born a Jew. And that the gospel went first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, but God will keep those that are His safe, as we see there in verse 19. Again, this is the song of Moses, a song of victory, victory that is the Lord's. And as we turn back to Revelation chapter 15, the Apostle John continues in verse 5, and he says, after these things, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now pause right there because again, this is a wonderful thing that John is seeing. It is a great and marvelous thing that John is seeing here, the victorious of the tribulation. Those that have been were victorious through the tribulation. They are depicted here as standing in a beautiful place, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. While they're standing in this beautiful place on this sea of glass, John sees this tabernacle opened, And the wrath of God is about to be complete, but there are seven last plagues for this world. And verse 6 says, And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chest girded with golden bands. You see, these angels have every right to do what they're doing here. They have every bit of authority given to them. Their clothes and the golden band represent their worthiness to execute these seven plagues but they're not the only ones involved in this here because verse 7 says then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed so picture this scene here In your minds, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven is open. John can see inside the temple the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And seven angels came out of this temple and it was given to them by the four living creatures, seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. Now, if you were here, you'll remember that we studied the four living creatures back in Revelation chapter 4. But here we are seeing the beginning of the seven last plagues that will come upon the earth. And moving on into chapter 16 and verse 1, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So these people are the people that never turned to Christ. They never repented. They had their chance before the tribulation, like people have their chance today to turn to Christ. And they had their chance during the tribulation, but they would not repent. Turn back for a moment to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. studied this about six weeks ago, but looking down at verse 20, Revelation 9:20, it says, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And if you remember, if you were here, when I talked about this several weeks back about worshiping you know, demons and idols, and of course we may say, well, we don't worship demons. But what about idols? What about money? What about gold and silver and brass? What about stone and wood? What's your house made out of? Sticks and stones, right? See, it's easy to worship things in this world. It's easy to put things above God. It's easy to fall into that trap, you know. But verse 21 says of them, it says, "...and and they did not repent of their murders and their sorceries, or their sexual immorality or their thefts." All of that goes on in our world today. And mankind doesn't repent of it as a whole. So as was in the case of the days of Moses and Pharaoh, some people just never learn. Remember, Pharaoh never gave up. Of all the signs and all the plagues that came upon Egypt, he never learned and even when the children of Israel were let go and they were finally free and they were out there, He still pursued them. He still came after them. Some people just never softened their hearts to the things of God. Even if plagues come upon them, people don't repent. And flipping back to Revelation chapter 16, this is the case in verse 2. Let's read it again. So the first went and poured out His bowl upon the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So they worshipped the beast and they took the mark during the great tribulation. And verse 3 says, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of waters and they became blood. So they've got this foul, loathsome sore on them, right? And they can't eat the fish, and they can't drink the water, because it's contaminated. Then in verse 5, the Apostle John says, And I heard the angels of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. So the angel is not taking credit for this. He is putting the credit for this directly on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the one who is and who was and who is to be. And he indeed is the one that is executing this judgment. And they deserve this judgment because verse 6 tells us they have shed the blood of saints and prophets And you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. So they're getting what's coming to them, right? They persecute the Jews today, even still. They persecute the Christians. I watched a video this week of a guy who put on the Yarmulke and went walking through the streets of Paris for. Did you see that video? Yeah, went walking through the streets of Paris for, I think it was 10 hours. He walked around the streets of Paris. The number of people that spat on him, the number of people that called him names, the number of people on this, it's just amazing. It's sad, you know, but they persecute the Jews till this day. And they persecute Christians till this day. And the persecutions of Christians is becoming more and more rampant, you know, throughout the world and here in the United States as well. So today they call the religions of evil good and the people of God bad. They want to rid the earth of the chosen people of God, the Jews, and and they want to take any semblance of the word of God out of our society today. But Jesus, the great and mighty God, will one day pour out His wrath upon this earth. And His judgments are good. And verse 7 tells us, And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Again, we got to keep this in mind as we see all of this judgment that true and righteous are his judgments. He judges fairly, he judges righteously. And he also today is a God of mercy, waving, extending his hand out to people to repent. And turned unto him. Verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. So again, the creatures of the sea are dead, the drinking waters are contaminated, and the sun burns right through the ozone layer, and mankind gets the worst sunburn ever seen. Verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give Him glory. Can you imagine this? You may say, how is this possible? How is it possible that they will not repent? Well, they have hardened their hearts for a long time. Even today, people are being duped by Satan into believing all kinds of lies. The governments of this world are preparing people to be followers of men, reliant upon the government, right? More and more people, especially in our country, are reliant upon the government today than ever before in our history. More and more laws are being implemented that impinge upon man's basic right to be free. We, of course, as Americans have always been blessed to live in a free country where we've understood from our foundation, right, from our very foundation, from the declaration of independence that we hold these, we hold certain truths, right, to be self-evident. And one of those truths being that all men are created equal, and that we have been endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, that's what our Declaration of Independence says. But there will come a day when all of mankind will be subject to a government, and the world is unfortunately moving in that direction today. Laws are being passed, that's taking away your right to choose, your right to freedom your right to worship, right? So these will experience, you know, these things simply, these people will experience these things simply because they refused in their lifetime to be governed by God. They liked the ways of man better. They enjoyed the sin of the world. They enjoyed living out the lust of their flesh and doing things contrary to the word of God. Jesus said people, Jesus himself said, they don't come, people don't come to him because they love darkness rather than light. People love darkness rather than light. And verse 10 continues and says, then the fifth angel poured out his ball on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Now remember, the Bible rightly so calls the Antichrist the beast, but The people of this world, they won't see him as a beast. They'll see him as something wonderful, a wonderful man, right? He'll be an awesome leader. But what happens here in verse 10 is his kingdom at this point becomes full of darkness. It doesn't look so good anymore. He fails the people. And now they have this great big sore on them from this plague. They don't have much to eat. They have nothing to drink. And they're in great pain, gnawing on their tongues. And this Antichrist is failing them, it's darkness. So much for following this great leader, huh? But again, I I believe that even in the societies of our world today, men are being prepared to be followers of leaders, followers of men. But as Christians, we are followers of Christ and of Christ alone. Then verse 11, They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. So what's happening very simply here is when this sixth angel pours out his bowl of wrath, the kings of the earth are prepared for a great war. This is the beginning of the Battle of Armageddon and this battle is beginning as unclean spirits come out of the mouth of the Antichrist and the false prophet, the dragon Satan himself as well. They are furious with God as are all the people of the that are left on the earth at this point and they, they want to wage war and these spirits of demons are performing signs that prompt the kings right the governments of the earth, You can equate the kings of the earth with the governments of the earth. And these demons are performing signs that prompt these governments to get ready for war, a great war. You see back there in verse 12 where it says that the Euphrates and its waters was dried up. Well, there was a time when the Romans considered the Euphrates River to be a secure barrier against invasion from the empire's Of the east back in that day the Euphrates River was 1800 miles long and anywhere from 3 to 1200 yards in width okay so here in Revelation the Euphrates is depicted as a symbol of protection but that protection is gone because the waters have dried up see there will be no more protection for the people of the earth the government that they trusted in will fail the, the, the sin that they live by will, will be revealed and, and judgment will come upon them. And everything is failing them all around them. There's no protection. There's nothing for them. So the armies can come blasting through now. And then verse 15 says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walks naked and they see his shame. So verse 15 here is kind of interesting to me in that it's placed right here in a spot where war is being spoken of but verse but by verse 15 we are reminded that we are to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. We will not be put to shame. Those of us who trust in the Lord that is, you will not be put to shame. We will see the Lord victorious in battle and we will see that here in Revelation as we go on. So the kings of the earth are gathered gathered for this battle. And verse 16 says, And they gathered them together to a place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found and great hail from heaven fell upon men each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great. So that's where we are here at the end of Revelation 16. A great battle is being prepared on the earth. The Antichrist and the false prophet are waging war. The seventh plague has begun upon the earth. There's thunder, there's lightning, a devastating earthquake. Nations are divided. And God has remembered to pour out His great wrath upon sin, the sin of this world. And as if that's not enough, great-sized Hail falls from heaven and beats upon mankind. So great is this hail that each stone weighs what is equivalent to 100 pounds. And rather than crying out in repentance, what does man do? They continue to blaspheme God. God has shown mercy time and time again, even during the Great Tribulation. First, right, we studied the seals, didn't we? We saw the seven seals in Revelation. Then we studied the trumpets. And now we're seeing the pouring out of the bowls. This represents God giving people warnings, giving people time. Hey, here's this happening. Repent. They don't repent. Some do. We saw that some are saved during the Great Tribulation, but the majority don't. Then this happens. Repent. And they don't repent. Then this happens. Repent, and they don't repent. But yet I believe that that same thing goes on in the lives of people today. You've tried this in your life, and it didn't work. Repent. You've tried to do this without me, and it didn't work. Repent, the Lord says. And people keep trying and trying and trying without surrendering, without submitting to the Lord. Right? So man continues to blaspheme God. But again, to me, this is not hard to believe because even in our day and age, mankind, like I'm saying here, continues to reject the mercy of God. They continue to refuse to repent and to turn to the living God, the God of the Bible, the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible. When I say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, I'm, I'm making that statement for a reason. Because I'm saying He is the God of the Bible. He is the God of Israel. Right? He, there is no other God but Him. Okay? So people won't turn to Jesus Christ for salvation today because, again, they love the darkness of this world. But God's wrath will come upon this earth in the future. And I exhort you today to grow to continue to grow in your knowledge of our God and Savior. And how do you do that? Studying the word of God. Reading the word of God. Making the word of God a part of your life in some way shape or form. You've got to listen to it audibly, do it. Play it in your car, do it. Read it in your word, do it. Go to sleep to it. Do it. There's all kinds of apps out there on your iPads and things like that. You just that's what that's what my wife and I do. We just listen to that when we go to bed. We listen to the Word of God. But I exhort you to continue to grow in the Lord. And, and don't be fooled by the ways of this world, because again, the, the, the enemy does roam around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to devour each and every one of us. And he do not want us following the Lord. He doesn't want us fixing our eyes on the Lord. Because if we don't fix our eyes on the Lord, and then we go out and we make our own plans and our own decisions, then we see the failures of these plans. We see the failures of these decisions. And we see what life is like without Him. But we have the Word of God, and we see all of these truths within it. And it's right in front of our face, but it's just a matter of faith. It's a matter of surrendering our hearts to Him. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank You for Your Holy Word. We thank You for Your great love and Your mercy that You have extended to all of mankind, Lord. That whosoever will can come unto You today, Lord. We can just repent we can turn from our our past life Lord our, our failures our mistakes of not placing you first and giving you top priority in our lives we can just turn from it and repent Lord so I pray Lord that you would continue to convict us in our hearts Lord and show us the areas of our lives where we need to grow in you and I pray that also by your spirit you will use us in the lives of others to minister to them and to point them unto you But Lord, may we not forget your word and the truth of your word because we know heaven and earth will pass away but your word will never fail. So your ways are great and marvelous and you are perfect in holiness and righteousness and you are the everlasting God worthy of all of our praise and all honor and all glory is due unto you. May our hearts be there. May we bow our hearts before you. Lord, as we live this life, this temporary life, And as we look forward to that place, that holy habitation that we will pass over into someday. Strengthen us by your spirit. And thank you again for this time in your word. In Jesus name. Amen.